You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Reuven Yeshua Popko. Yeah, I had a little less oomph in that one, maybe because I guess I'm reeling over the events over this last couple of days um, when we're talking about Nebuch, uh, a return to uh, terror. And why don't you talk a little bit about that, Rabbi, about the events on uh, that happened on Shabbos uh, and Neve Yaakov? You know, uh, seven uh, seven people were killed uh, in an attack on people leaving a show Friday night in uh, in Neve Yaakov. You know, Neve Yaakov is a beautiful community. I'm not sure how many people are are, are familiar with it, but the history itself is fascinating. Uh, Neve Yaakov was founded in the uh, in the 1920s. Um, on land legally purchased from Arabs in Beit Hanina. And uh, uh, Jews settled there in the 1920s. The, um, you know, it uh, it's interesting. They, um, in 1948, when the Jordanian army was approaching, Neve Yaakov and neighboring Atarot were evacuated. But the Jews had lived there from 1924 and on. Uh, the um, the people who lived there for the first, I think, five years of its existence uh, would walk, f- I think, five kilometers just to be able to get water and schlep it back in pails. It was a great commitment to living there and, and, and being there. Uh, Neve Yaakov, which translates to Jacob's Oasis, was named for uh, Rabbi Rhinus, who had died in 1915, a great uh, religious Zionist figure in Europe. And uh, the Neve Yaakov was named for him. Uh, it was built uh, about ten, nine years after his death. And, um, and it was evacuated. And after the bizarre anomaly of a Jewish state without uh, all of Jerusalem was corrected in 1967, uh, they moved back. Uh, to Neve Yaakov. Uh, Neve Yaakov in the in the twenties uh, sustained uh, uh, itself, you know, during the Palestinian riots in nineteen twenty nine, the Arab riots in nineteen twenty nine, the Arab revolt in the thirties. Uh, but uh, you know, they they did enjoy years of coexistence with the surra- surrounding Arab villagers. But um, you know, uh, a beautiful community today. Uh, seven people killed, uh, and um, uh, listen. There are the list of the guilty is a long list because uh, uh, the list of the guilty is the perpetrator himself. The schools that taught him incitement, according to an art- uh, article and some research done since the shooting, about what was taught in the school this kid went to, uh, the mosques that uh, that propagate hatred against Jews, the Palestinian Authority which rewards and continues to reward uh, terrorism by paying pensions to families. Uh, you know, two guys are let out of prison a couple of weeks ago after serving 40-year sentence are awarded with $100,000 from the Palestinian Authority, money they get, you know, in aid from Europe and America. Um, the, uh, li- the list of the guilty includes the Europeans who refuse to, uh, who refuse to in any way 
uh, pressure the Palestinians to uphold their commitments under Oslo, one of which was, of course, to stop the incitement. But, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the best comment on the event came from an Arab. Uh, and one of the uh, people responding for Magain David Adom was an Israeli Arab uh, who uh, I believe comes from the same place as the killer. And he said something, and I paraphrase, he, he said the following. He said, you know, uh, where I come from, there's a culture of death. Uh, in Israel, there's a culture of life. And uh, where Arabs treat, treat Jews and Jews treat Arabs, uh, medically he's referring. And, um, and, and that's the reality. Uh, the Palestinian Authority has done nothing to uphold its commitments to, uh, to stop the incitement, to stop the vicious uh, support of terrorism. Abbas is losing control. There are more radical groups popping up that threaten him as much as they threaten Israel. And uh, he, he certainly is now in, you know, impotent uh, in, in many ways to stop it. I'm happy that you you're putting the the guilty parties on the table. When I first heard about this, and I was on Arab Shabbos, and I was, uh, and it the bulletin comes across my phone, and you know, of course, that uh, basically because of our podcast, uh, I I subscribe to the New York Times and Haaretz, <laughs> so it's your fault. But the New York Times uh, bulletin that came up on Arab Shabbos was. Um, uh, attack or you know in a, a Jerusalem synagogue after West Bank violence, right? No, the, the, the so so let me just let me just make the point of it. I know yeah. it's a bit obvious one, which is that you know from their perspective, yeah, it, this is all uh, a a byproduct of what's been going on in the West Bank in terms of crackdowns there and in terms so this I is. Mean, I, I think I mean I don't think anybody listening to this needs to be reminded, but. Not only did the New York Times put it that way as some kind of, you know, uh, you know, cycle of violence, whatever. Not only did they do that, they if I remember the New York Times alert from Friday, it said Jews killed in East Jerusalem. And when they, and when they go out of their way to say that, what they're saying is these people had it coming because they're, they are where they're not supposed to be. I think you're right. I think it was. It and I was, Jerusalem. and I was, I was wondering, Neve Yaakov, East yeah, Jerusalem. Yeah, I know. I know. Didn't, I didn't call that, anyway, but again, the other issue is what happened Thursday morning. What happened Thursday morning in Janine is there was a, 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 a terrorist attack about to happen. Thank God, Israel's intelligence and army is is incredible. They went to Janine to arrest the people about to kill Jews. Obviously, uh, we know what happened. They didn't uh, go quietly. They opened fire. Baruch Hashem, thank God, no Israelis were killed. Nine Palestinians were killed. And the people perpetrating, there was one uh, bystander who was unfortunately killed. We don't know by whose gunfire. And, and the Palestinians, now, in any other country, the uh, security services that are able to stop a terror attack before it happens, that because of signal intelligence and human intelligence are able to find out about these things. And that are able to surgically, right, neutralize the threat without causing uh, collateral damage, without in an apartment block. They would be held up as majestic heroes. You'd have movies made about this one raid on a Thursday morning. Had any other country in the world done anything like this, we know what the casualty list would have looked like. We know the record of the Americans dealing with these kinds of things in Iraq 
and Afghanistan, how many wedding parties they bombed. We know, I mean, I don't even I mean to even put it in the same sentence as bizarre, but we know what the Russians would have done, right? They would have leveled Janine. Uh, we, we know that. And yet Israel does it with a unmatched skill and unmatched ethics, unparalleled in the world. And it's just lumped together with some kind of cycle of violence that just like they, you know, kill us, we kill them. It, nothing could be further from the truth. This was an attack uh, that was provoked by uh, decades and decades of, of incitement and the and what the Israelis did Thursday morning shouldn't even be put in the same sentence yes, as what yes. was done uh, in the Vayakov on Friday night. Let's talk about the Shabbos afternoon. There was a Shabbos afternoon attack as well on a, on a father. David, and, yeah. And you're David of a, a father and son that were going to the Kaisal, I believe, or yeah. coming back from the Kaisal, which was... So, what, what you know, again? You you see, it's just chaos. Uh, it isn't Abbas. Abbas, let's give it for let's give him at least some credit for condemning uh, the attack. He did it, uh, condemn it, I believe. And I think from the U.S. corner, uh, I think we did hear, I think appropriate. Uh, statements uh, condemning it and not linking it to what was no, happening. But again, what's wrong with the American statements is they is they call on both sides to calm the tensions. The implication is that somehow that something Israel did had stirred the tensions. If Israel's being called upon to calm them, and all Israel did to stir the tensions was stop terror attacks, and to put that together with a vicious assault on civilians as some kind of you know, phenomenon both sides need to behave and is insane. Israel is a country that did what any country would have done if they were capable of it uh, in stopping terror, and uh, and that's lumped together with uh, with an attack on civilians. It's 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 obscene. It really is obscene. Yeah. So yes, they do condemn, but at the same time, they put it in a context which is highly offensive and wrong. Yeah, Simply it's... not not in sync with the facts, and. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, it's you, you know, you have European journalists calling Janine a massacre. Really? You know, you have a bunch yeah. of guys sitting in an apartment about to kill civilians in, in a city in Israel, and, and it's called a massacre when you stop them? And again, you, you, you wonder, does it really make a difference when you hear about the details of, of people that have died? But I think it does. It humanizes. It, it connects us to the tragedy. And it seems like the the the... Kadoshim that were mowed down were just one. <clears throat> I don't know, eight fifteen. Maybe they were going from Einig Shabbos. They were just some, and they were mostly, you know, I would say traditional Sephardi families. They were husbands and wives, couples, young children. Listen, I I don't know, I don't know what the right thing to do all the time, and it's hard to know. But I think one thing I know is that. As Jews, we have an obligation, a strong obligation uh, to other Jews. And uh, when Jews are murdered uh, for no other reason than the fact they're Jews, we have some, we have an ethical obligation to respond and, and to know and to remember. So certainly reading about their lives is an end in itself. Uh, it's, it's, you know, to, just to remember who, who, the, who, who they were and, and how they lived. Uh, we did a memorial Saturday night in our shul. Uh, Friday afternoon, right before Shabbos, we sent out the notice, we announced it in Shul, because I, I, I fundamentally believe that although 
it's easy to be cynical that, you know, gathering together to do memorial doesn't do much for anybody, but it would be wrong to do nothing. And I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I know we're supposed to do something. And uh, we got together, the Consul General was there, and uh, and listen, we uh, we said tail him for the injured. We said a Kamali in stock. And <laughs> it's heart-wrenching when you, you, know, you put yourself into the eyes of another community. Uh, they are, we are their brothers, we are their sisters, we are their children, but especially uh, families that have immigrated from North Africa and other places um, in Eretz Yisrael. And you've talked about this here on this platform, developed a very solid, um, traditional, <coughs> uh, religious uh, embracing of, of, of the values of Eretz Yisrael. They aren't Haredim, they aren't necessarily Shamer mitzvahs the way necessarily we put it, but the fealty that the Adat Mizrach has and the, the, the way they comport themselves, it, it, the sense of the significance of Shabbos, it, it, it's very, you know, it, it, it's quite remarkable. Um, no, it's I a beautiful think... community and the beautiful Jews. We have, uh, you know, uh, different trends developed in different geographic areas. You know, some will tell you that, you know, the, the Sephardic Jews were excelled in ways that we were deficient and we excelled in ways that they were deficient. Some will make that argument. They were, uh, their tradition and devotion to davening, to tefillah is incredible. We're the least of them, no davening by heart. It's incredible how, the, what, what, how they've done that. Uh, incredible. We have a lot to learn from them. Um, their devotion, their, their 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 the passion for it, the joy in it is certainly and, uh, right. Uh, and I, I I think as rabbis, both of us, I think both what we appreciate is the much more than lip service that they pay to kavod of chachamim, yeah. and uh, and that and that is something that we've talked about, and it's palpable. It isn't just uh, going through the motion. These attacks. Attacks like this that have happened, you know, through, through the years. Uh, to me, they represent the death spasm of uh, a, a, of a failed attempt to destroy the Jewish state. Uh, they won't determine the course of Israel's history. Israel is strong. Israel will remain strong. We're in the best position we've been in since Bias Rishon. Uh, we're going to have a majority of the Jews in the world living in Israel in a very short time. Um, the majority of people who are Shabbos Shabbos in the world live in Israel. The majority of children, Jewish children in the world are being born in Israel. Uh, Israel today enjoys uh, respect, uh, enjoys the respect and, uh, and admiration of people everywhere. They enjoy relations with countries that just a couple of years ago was considered, you know, a, a pipe dream to imagine. And uh, Israel is yeah. strong. Remain strong. And yeah, uh, I, on that note, I, I needed to make a call uh, to a head of a school, uh, uh, sort of to intercede on a student and someone that I knew and to see what can be done. Uh, he was a chief financial officer of a school. And I call, I, I was up till three in the morning because I wanted to make sure I would get the person was somewhat of an urgent matter. And he picks up the phone. He says, Hey, I'm on a beach in Dubai right now. Right. Uh, and. <laughs> and like you say, that that was sort of inconceivable fifteen years ago, you know, or ten years ago. I would say seven years ago. I yes, mean, right, right. So, and, you know, I'm I'm on a beach in Dubai, and 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 his Rebbitzin was receiving uh, a a massage 
uh, someplace by in, in some other area. I mean, it, it is incredible, really. And and that really, I guess, gets, goes to show you that the, these terrorist attacks do not slow down. To look back on, on the terrible years of the Intifada, which we all remember very well, you know, in the early part of this of this century and uh, uh, the attacks, we remember their names, the Moment Cafe, Sabaro, Hebrew University, the Dolphinarium, all of the terrible attacks that took place on a, almost a weekly basis until Israel went in and, and, you know, and cracked down and put an end to it and built the wall and everything else. But what just as much as the army deserves credit and the government deserves credit for stopping that terrorism. The people who deserve the most credit are Israelis who refuse to be broken by it, who continue to live, who uh, continue to take their kids to school. Yeah. I and put their know, kids on buses and, and continue to live and defy. Right. And, 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 and that has been something which, you know, we marvel at. Uh, and and when I mention it to Israelis, they say, "Well, you know, are you dissuaded when you hear about shootings in in a downtown area or in an urban place? I mean, you must go on with life." And Israelis obviously do that, despite paying the respect. It, it, do you think that this event calms or quiets the criticism on the Netanyahu government in the way that um, hey, we have much more important things to worry about? Um, has that? Do you think it's going to tone down uh, the intense criticism on every single thing that uh, the Netanyahu government is trying to do? I think that um, uh, no. The simple answer is no. I think yeah. Israelis who are opposed to this government will continue their opposition and continue to protest. Some of their some of their criticisms, some of them, are legitimate. Most of them are not. Uh, but I, I, I think what's going to determine things more than anything else is that BB wants two things uh, during his prime ministership. Number one, he wants uh, Israel and America to cooperate against Iran, and he needs American help to push the Saudis uh, into dif- open diplomatic relations with Israel. Those are his clear priorities. And if these reforms to the Supreme Court or other issues uh, will in any way jeopardize that. And again, there is a linkage. Uh, uh, unfortunately, there is a linkage. Uh, Lincoln made that clear during his trip this week between the degree of uh, support uh, Israel will get from America uh, is based on uh, the old ideas of shared values of being a liberal democracy and all that other stuff. Uh, BB will, I think, seek to temper some of the reforms uh, that his coalition has so far uh, advocated for. So uh, uh, so I think there is a linkage, but BB has clear priorities and he's not going to let anything get in the way, but the opposition will continue. And I think there is room for compromise, but uh, it's hard to compromise with the extreme positions that have already been staked down on both. Okay. Let's also maybe pile on a little bit here on Ben Gvir for, I think one of the things he said after the shooting was that this indicates how more Israelis need to be armed? I don't know if you saw that. There were terror attacks that were stopped by Israeli civilians. It's not uncommon at all. You hear it all the time. So, yeah, I I have no problem with Israelis being armed. But I think, you know, things like uh, stripping citizenship, closing houses, all this stuff has been tried. Actually, not stripping citizenship, but other stuff has been tried before. The reality is, 
I'll tell you a story. Let me tell you a story from the early 80s. Because much of the problem the West has in understanding the Israel is they don't understand the mentality of Israel's adversaries. Let me just tell you one, one story which you know illustrates what Israel is up against. I had a good friend of mine, of blessed memory, named Mike Ginsburg, who uh, at the end of his life was the uh, uh, head of security for Miskavam, a, a Jewish community right on the border with Lebanon. In, in an earlier part of his life, he was in the army, and he was on patrol once in southern Lebanon. And he comes across a house in front of which is a car, an Arab house, in front of which is a car that he discovers is wired to explode upon uh, ignition when the car will start. So he and his buddy knock on the door of the Arab and say, you know, you got to be careful. Your car is going to blow up if you start it. The Arab says, no, I don't believe you. He says, no, we checked out. It's going to blow up. He says, all right, let me check. He, he calls his 14-year-old son from the back of the house, hands him the car keys and says, go start the car. Mike says to him, are you off your mind? We just told you it's going to blow up. He says, listen, I got to make sure. And listen, another son I can make like that. I earn a living for this family. So you're talking about people whose understanding of, of, of life, understanding of their own children is radically different than what we assume it to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, Golda Meir said it. You know, we don't know. You know, she said it best. There'll be peace not when they love us or our children. There'll be peace when they love their own children. There could have been peace a hundred times. There could have been peace, and it's it's a disaster for the Palestinian people. It's a it, it hurts you know Israel, but there could have been peace a hundred times. But uh, they 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 they're driven by ideas that are bizarre to us, uh, a thinking about uh, martyrdom that is bizarre to us, a conception of honor and humiliation. That drives a lot of this. The very existence of a Jewish state uh, is a source of their psychic humiliation and drives them to distraction and to violence. And uh, we, we have people in the West have a lot of trouble understanding that there are people in this world who don't value what we've helped my son um, get to the uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's a sort of security area where he was able to obtain his gun. Now, my son had been a soldier in the Israeli army and, uh, and of course, did his service, but he still wasn't able to carry a gun until he went through uh, uh, some training afterwards. And right. and so the and, and it was pretty intense what he needed to go through as a civilian uh, to be able to carry a gun. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is Many of our listeners might have this conception that, you know, the Israelis, it's the Wild West. They are very careful about who they are, even Israeli wow. citizens. Um, you know, they and, and I think that the same way we we, we point to the Israelis f- for many ways that things we can learn from, I would say the number one is the brilliance of their security system. Pardon me for for inserting a pet peeve here, but the TSA and everything that was <laughs> no, everything that was unleashed after September 11th, there were thousands of lives taken on that day, and there have been, I, I would say, you know, tens of thousands of life hours, maybe millions of life hours that have been deprived of people because of the security regulations of getting onto an airplane.
Um, and a lot of it is based on an inability to zero in on who is a threat. Get oh, it's through. insane. I always advocated that. You know how when you drive to an airport, they have all these billboard ads for hotels and rented cars, whatever. There should be a billboard outside every major hotel in America, a big billboard that says, remember why you have to wait in line with the picture of the 19, of the 19 uh, bombers of, of the World Trade Center. Yes. The other sites, that, that, people and, and say, the Meshuggah with the shoes too. Right. Okay, that idiot with the shoe. I mean, the shoe thing was the dumbest of all time. Right, right. And and look what that did. And the liquids. I mean, it's so stupid. I want to tell you funny. Like, I was traveling once from Montreal to Seattle with my father, taking my father to Seattle, and he was in a wheelchair at that point. And the humiliations they say subjected him to because he's in a wheelchair were bizarre. So I just said, I said simply to the TSA agent at the time, I said. Is there a new terrorist group involving eighty-year-old uh, Jewish men? <laughs> yes, I, I I I went through something similar with my mother-in-law. <laughs> I mean, it's who, who who was who was even less formidable looking than your father over Shalom. Also, in, a, in, a, in a, and and they take they had to take her into a special room to with a special oh, agent. I'll tell you what else I I went through just this about a month ago. I was in the airport. They, they they make you lift your keeper. You know about this? You ever, you ever have this? Canada, you have to lift your keeper. And I'd refuse. I mean, I mean, I just got, I, I didn't refuse because I thought it was anti-Semitic. I refused because it's just so stupid. So I went through and this woman with a hijab working at security says to me, you know, please lift your keeper. You know, she, <laughs> yeah. so I look at her. Really? <laughs> You're serious now. Yeah, yeah. I go, and then this guy comes over and I say to him, listen, uh, you know, according to my calculations, uh, since these protocols began, uh, 1,250,824 keepers have been lifted. <laughs> Tell me what percentage of those places revealed weapons, right? So, <laughs> so I object to this on basis of stupid before 9 11, where you, you get away with more and say more without getting tackled by security. I was going through security once in Dorval in Montreal. And I, I, they open up my carry-on and they see my talus bag. So the guy says to me with a mischievous smirk, can I open this? I go, sure, feel free to open it, but you should know one thing. We Jews have a tradition that any non-Jew who opens this will die young. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I say to the security guy. Yeah, yeah, By the way, don't try this at home. Please, no one should follow my example here. So yeah. the guy says, oh, you got all, he said, all right, all right, all right. He's like, I mean, they're just things that they do that are stupid. Yeah, so so I guess the point is that you know, not instead of pointing fingers and constantly blaming you know Israelis for inequity, uh, there is still so much we could learn from a lot of the common sense, practical way. Yes, they handle things. They don't give guns out to everybody. But they understand what background checks are. They understand what red flags are. <clears throat> they are able uh, to consistently, you know. Yeah, do you remember right after 9-11, you couldn't take a nail clipper in your carry-on? I mean, there was insanity going on. It's absolute insanity. Right. And, 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 and I think that's part of this gulf of, of not understanding. Uh, here we have Israel that lives with uh, uh, these type of attacks and the threat consistently. And is able, and, and and of course, what the what the Western press will say is because you know they do racial profiling, uh, they zero in uh, on things that are. Uh, boy, if 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 there would be, if you'd be able to talk freely, people would be able to say, 
let's adopt this. And I think life would would change. I, I, I don't know if it would solve the gun issues. It might. But as you say, it would definitely uh, add so it, much, so many you, hours remember, of life and freedom. Showed, remember the TV show NYPD Blue? Um, yes. <laughs> so yes. we should let the episode end without us talking about some very important part of the show is Andy Sipowitz, right? Played by Dennis Franz, a nice Jewish boy. Anyway, Andy Sipowitz, um, uh, it was one of the last episodes. The, the fellow who, I forget his name, the name of the character, the, the gay fellow who was this, like the civilian employee of the squad, right, is about to take an airplane trip and he was nervous about flying after 9-11. So Sipowitz says to what's the problem? Get on the plane Say, Muhammad, no one turns around, you're safe. <laughs> so they had this in the show, right? <laughs> and, um, and and again, obviously that's offensive, but, you know, a little racial profiling wouldn't hurt. And and, and I think our fear, you know, as of, of, of sounding in any way, shape, or form uh, as if we are anti-Muslim uh, the, the religion I think has really again it's 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 spiraled to a point that there really is no return. The generation that we, our children and grandchildren, are, are enter have entered into it's it seems like you know there's no turning back. Like, like there's no turning back. You're, they're going to have to unfortunately have to submit. Uh, and the type of and just to tie this program up, the type of events. That you know, whether wherever they come from, New York Times or Arts, whatever that we see blasted on our uh, on our phones of, of terror events, unfortunately, I think cement this type of uh, this type of lifestyle, which you know robs us of so much. But again, uh, I think I think we should I, again. I, it can't be emphasized enough the skill and brilliance of Israel Security Services, the amount, the number of attacks that never happen because they've been interdicted is. It's frightening, but but remarkable. It's incredible what they're able to do, just incredible. And uh, thank God because of that, we have children and grandchildren living in Israel who can have the right to feel safe and secure. Yeah, I, I have to tell you that again, there are events where their caution uh, is, you know, ends up in in a way causing, I would say. Uh, some problems for people, but you know, there's a friend of mine, one of my students, uh, my adult male students, who wasn't around for a couple of days, and he was detained because uh, he 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 was not able to fly with his family together because he wasn't able to get a ticket, and he was flying by himself, and he comes from he was born in Iran, oh god, and, yeah. and he doesn't look particularly Haredi or Jewish, <laughs> um, and when and although his his family and son, who are uh, you know who look very Jewish and are have kippot and go to yeshiva, he wasn't able to join them on the flight, so he was flying separately. He ended up being detained for four or five hours because he <laughs> because he wasn't able to speak Hebrew well, right. and and they didn't understand. Well, who are you? Uh, you come from Iran, so th- th- there are times that they right. will zero in. That's inevitable. On- they they were zero in on what they consider you know, a, red, a red hair. I was I was a, behind somebody in security line once in Gorian, and there's a normal American Jewish family going through security, and they say, "Do you have any weapons?" And the idiot nine year old kid says, "We bought a bullet. You know those stupid necklaces with the bullet." <laughs> the poor <laughs> family was the 
detained until they found a necklace. I mean, you can't imagine. We bought. Um, we wish, of course, um, uh, happy trails, uh, Tom. Uh, go make uh, all the millions and billions of dollars that uh, your career uh, deserves. Um, and, Listen, and- Tom Brady will be remembered for one thing primarily, which is his cheating, <laughs> cheating footballs. He was he uh, you know and uh, he should give back his Super Bowl rings, and he should uh, you know retire in, uh, in in humiliation. Yeah, well, look, he might have lost Giselle, but I think <laughs> I think Mephistopheles is probably sitting, you know, in a chair uh, in his in his palatial estate. Heroes of football like Terry Bradshaw, Ben Roethlisberger. Well, what I'm saying is he made it. The guy made a deal with someone. No, no one has been able to last as long as him. He's a satanic force. Yes, yes, yes. Happy trails, everyone. Be well. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 